I'm Garrett McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. Here in Studio B. And this is Triloquy, true and real stories from the fringes of classical music. It feels good to be all cozy here in your basement. Got my, um, got my cupcake here. It's very delicious. <laughs> Thank you, Scott, for baking cupcakes. Yeah, there's no ice left, and it's a jingle. So. And, and all of your refrigerators and everything are unplugged. Yep, all of the uh, fridges, all the fermentation chambers, everything. Yeah. Now, that's not to say that somebody's not going to ring the doorbell and that won't go off. I have no idea. Well, we'll but just see. Nobody comes by, so we should be good. And we have Radar here with us today. Yeah, everybody I know is here. So, <laughs> And we have a very special guest on this Opus of Triloquy, uh, the newest member of the C24 team um, and the newest member of our little clique here, Melissa Dundas. Thanks so much for being with us here on Triloquy. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. It's fun to be here in Studio B because it uh, it feels a little uh, more natural, you know, like we're really just hanging out and uh, and having fun. And, was, and, and we do have an agenda here, so this is a real opus of Triloquy, but, you know. But that was the whole idea of the podcast was to get people in, you know, feeling comfortable and having that real, true conversation. You feel comfortable, Melissa? I do. Excellent. I, I feel at ease. Yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, oh, you know, we have a lot to talk about uh, today, Melissa, you know, as far as um, your relationship with the guitar, your relationship with classical radio, public radio, and all of that sort of thing. Uh, but just first and foremost, I kind of want to know um, how you feeling as a new twin city or a new uh, St. Paulite. A how twin, twin citizen. Yeah, twin, twin citizen. citizen. How, how long has it been for you now? Uh, four months. Four months, was, wow. yeah. How you so, feeling? Um, I feel good. You know, I like uh, I like the Twin Cities. Everybody's been really welcoming and kind, and I've seen um, a lot of great music. And I, I just, yeah. And you're from um, Omaha, just Shout like out. you, Scott. Yep. And I, I want to hear some some Ova, Omaha and some KVNO banter. But <laughs> uh, but but you know the the first thing I kind of wanted to uh, kind of bring up was you know the move itself, the the physical part of you know packing up your life and putting it in a truck or whatever. I had I had moved around a lot, so mm -hmm. you know I, I went from Memphis to Los Angeles to you know Detroit to. Knoxville and a lot here, a lot of places in between, but you're from Omaha and yeah. this is like you really doing it for the first time. Did, did yeah. that feel just so daunting? Not, I was so busy and I had a lot of things to do in one month, but like you had a month to you get had. yourself together. Yeah. That was oh, wow. it. Yeah. Oh, see, I had like three months to leave. I up. think I had three weeks. Mm. It was good. Yeah. Mm -mm. I, I mean, Certain it, it, I knew I had a small amount of time, and then like every the I could just see the process because I was in like this fast paced mode that I get in, and everything's mm -hmm. just moving too slow. I call them mini meltdowns. I probably had like three, and I didn't know where it was coming from. I just knew I was stressed. Okay, mm -hmm. okay, you know, yep. and like, and then when I got here, I you know it it was creeping up. It was creeping up, and then you know, after being here, and and you know. Your family is just like, all right, bye. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, yeah. Okay, Talk to you later. I'm, I'm, yeah, in a different space. Well, I'm sure there's somebody listening right now who doesn't quite know who you are. So, how about you introduce yourself? Who, uh, well, you know, you, you come from Omaha, but what's your job here at uh, American Public Media, and what, uh, and and what was your sort of professional uh, journey toward toward this spot? 
So I'm a national host slash producer. I haven't done a ton of producing yet, but I'm really looking forward <laughs> to it. Right, no, well, right now, just some, just some promos and stuff. So yeah, but that writing, counts. That's writing important. Writing spots and yeah. um, getting digging into Pro Tools, which You do hit fun. the ground running here. They do get you working on stuff right away. Yeah. So I, I'm just excited for what's what's to come. Um, I'm on NPR, of course, on Saturday mornings, and I, I kind of have to fill in. I have two set shifts, mm -hmm. and then they expect me to fill in wherever I need to. I want to ask you about that. How do you feel about the fact that you could be called up at a moment's notice and say, yeah, you got to be in at midnight tonight? Well, listen, Bang. because because a part of what Julie told me even before you were hired was uh, she said that the new host is, you know, one of that person's main duties is to be the principal overnight sub. Yeah. So, of course, in my mind, I'm like, yes, finally, I can take a sick day without <laughs> feeling guilty. But now that you're here, I don't want you to have to come in here in the middle of the night <laughs> just because I don't feel like going to work, you know? <laughs> well, that's part of it, though. But I would never call so. in just because I don't feel like it, obviously. No, nobody does that. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, it is what it is. I knew that's what was going to happen. And sometimes she's getting a hold of someone else like she had someone come in on like a sunday morning instead of me oh yeah that was and me. then i <laughs> well i'm talking about something more recent okay but, um, oh tea okay but uh, well no later that week one of the day hosts got sick okay and so i i think sometimes in their mind they're like if ward or kevin can do the overnight then melissa can pop in at 8 a.m and fill in for I don't know. I fill in a lot during the day for people that just need to. Yeah, but yeah. Good luck getting good luck getting Ward to come in on an overnight. <laughs> yeah, lots of luck. Shout out to Ward. You yeah, know, he's uh, great. Okay, well, Kevin always does. I'm surprised I haven't done more overnights yet, to be honest. Oh, yeah. I was all just getting myself psyched up. Well, because, you know, I, because, you know I'm dedicated to doing my shifts. So I'm, you know, I'm, I, I kind of have to hold the banner. We always, we, for like the last 15 years, at least 13 that I've been here, we've always had a rock solid crew. I mean, the, the, uh, it seems like it. losses due to uh, illness were few, especially yeah. overnight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, more more uh, sick people during the day. What about um, getting back to your integration into Twin Cities life? Have you been to a meat raffle yet? Have you have you? I don't know what that what is. Are we, yeah, what are we even talking about? A meat so, raffle? Okay, meat so the, raffle. yeah, this was a new I've one on me been too. Been one before, but not here. So um, Garrett, you go to a bar, and if they have a meat raffle going on, you pay however much to get a raffle ticket. And if they come out and say, "Okay, we're going to draw for the uh, four steaks or the pound of hamburger or whatever," oh, so this is not it, a gay bar. And if they pull your, <laughs> uh, um, it, it could be. It's. Uh, I thought he was talking about Polish festivals because oh, that's okay. what they do at Polish festivals. But yeah, I, that was a new one. And uh, what what differences did you notice arriving? Um, what what was the biggest thing to get used to here in the Twin Cities for you? To get used to? Yeah. Hmm. Come Gosh. on, there, there was there was some culture shock, wasn't there? I mean, I guess there's there's more people, but that was that's not shocking to oh, me. Oh, so okay, so Omaha was moving from Omaha was coming to a bigger city. Yeah. For you, mm -hmm. okay. Okay. I mean, I don't know if anything it shocked me. I've been to New York. The, I mean, I like the subways there. I think it's like fun and 
interesting to me. M- M- Melissa's like, look, this ain't my first rodeo, okay? I'm, well, this no, may be my first saying, meeting. Like, that. shocking. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't come here and I wasn't like, just like, wow. I don't know. Nothing like that happened. I love that there's uh, many uh, things to choose from if you have a night off on a Saturday or a Sunday. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could have. No, I think yeah. we just identified that I'm a dullard, and you know that um, it, it was more of a discovery for me than the youthful arrival that you had. Okay, well, you're not going to kill my vibe today, so you need to keep it light as well, Scott. So you came from uh, KVNO. Shout out to them yeah. as the music director. Mm-hmm. Um, with that experience, I'm curious to know what was uh, you know what you had in mind as you transitioned to this new role here at APM as far as how you could you know put your own spin on things or how you can put forward your own uh, philosophy about uh, you know what it means to do this job that that you know we call hosting classical radio. Yeah, I had like just more busy work kept piling up at my previous job so I couldn't focus so much on busy being- work like what? I was planning events for the radio station. Like I was doing our playlist. I hosted Monday through Friday, 1 to 4 p.m. So Mm. I was programming. I was a host. I ran our classical kids program. I would also produce art art stories for our morning show. Um, So that was one or two stories a week at that point. And Mm then um, entering new music, listening to new music. I had to have an intern. So I had to carry on the tradition of training a student how to work in radio. So so hosting was just one part of your very busy yeah, job. Yeah, it eventually, and then, yeah, I got this really great um, opportunity with this um, design branding company, and so then I took that on. So then I was in charge of, like, ordering swag and, like, what should we get for oh, SM t-shirts, and then... You must have made funny. a lot of money down there. <laughs> <laughs> That's no. hilarious. <laughs> no, I didn't, but, um, you know... I, I, I just loved getting to have, you know, I, I wear a lot of hats. I wore a lot of hats at that position. That's what I told people. But I was like, I really do mean it. And I was able to kind of decide where I wanted to go. And I was like, I really want to work on being a personality and and producing. Um, there just weren't enough people there. There were like seven full-time people. So I was never going to be able to. I thought the same, you know, like, like what I wanted to really do there. I'm like, I could make small changes. The logo, the rebranding was huge and it was exciting. Yeah. Um, but I just, my heart was like, I think you need to, you need to try, even though there's, you're doing stuff here. You just felt like for yourself there, there was even more that you could do. Yeah. You, You remember when you were talking about being at WUOT that, you had your fingers on every part of the project. You just made it happen. Yeah. That was a lot like a KVNO. Yeah. And that's whoever was producing it, you just made it happen. Yeah. Sometimes I'd have to help the audio engineer Mm because people started, my coworkers started having kids and they'd be gone so much. And then, (laughs) and and that's kind of the charm of, of like local public radio. Um, and and, and I, and I do miss it a lot, but you know, kind of, you know, as you were saying, Melissa, there's just that feeling of needing to do more and, and to have even more impact, you know, um, how, uh, and I know that, uh, you know, the, the, the job you have now um, isn't, you know, as multifaceted as what you were doing at KVNO, but um, I know you're trying to bring, you know, more into it than just uh, being behind the microphone. How about you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I just want to create more of a brand because now that I've been here for a little while and I understand more about social media and social media as a business tool. So I want to add that. And I just want it to be more creative and colorful and visual because I think that's huge today is like having a visual to go along with it. That, and, I, and, you know, and that's really a... I don't want to say revolutionary, but just something to think about uh, the importance of a visual aspect to radio. Yeah. I mean, and it's the perfect time to do it because Instagram is that creative. Instagram is that girl. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I want to get the listeners, the kids and the parents involved and, and see how that can flourish. And I don't know, I guess kind of, rethink the idea of this request show that I've been handed because that's yeah. just a little outdated as yeah. call or email me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, because that, I, yeah, you, you can't ask a, even an 11 year old to email your request. No, mm-hmm. you know, tweet me your request or DM me your request or whatever. Yeah, that, that does have a, a much more contemporary sound to it. And really that's, that's what we got to be doing. Yeah. But they still, love hearing their name on the radio as as an adult i would i would get excited i would get that little giddy feeling of like oh well then i'll say i'll make sure i say your name on the radio next time i'm on the radio (laughs) speaking of i hear you say it and i do get that feeling speaking of hearing your name do you remember uh uh gene's story time in omaha Gene's story time? You don't? No. Oh, man. Okay, so on Sunday mornings uh, for Gene's story time, uh, I don't even remember what Gene's last name was. It was some local TV station, and all the kids that watched would drop pictures that corresponded to the story that they were going to read next week. Mm -hmm. And then as she told the story, you know, she would... Uh, um, follow along all the pictures that you would mail in, you know, mm, and then you yeah. got to see your name in the credits go by at the end. So, oh, I love that. Yeah, I'm just echoing that. Yeah, it's a big deal to see your name or to hear your name on the air. It yeah. goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. Um, so, one of the things, uh, you know, in preparation to have you on Triloquy, um, Scott and I were talking about the idea of. Um, being yourself behind the microphone and, you know, the challenges. And, you know, way back in Opus 2, Scott, uh, I talked with Katie and Delaney. Shout out to them about code switching. Right. And this is kind of a a version of that. Maybe not code switching rooted in uh, culture or race, but um, code switching rooted in tradition and expectation. You know, the, the, the idea that because we're on, you know, C24, we're, we're hosts for APM, there's a, a sound that we're supposed to right. have. And, and you can speak more to that because you've been doing this for longer. Mm-hmm. What would you like to know? I mean, <laughs> what opinion do you need? I mean, when you got into radio, surely there was, you know, I, 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 certainly when you were doing classical radio, there was an expectation for you to sound a certain way. And I don't know how to describe that certain way, but. Right. You're right. And I think that it was something that I put on myself. I think that I was. So you think we apply it to ourselves? You think it's not. Well, well in 1987, 1988, when I did my first classical shift, yeah, I thought that there was a certain cloud around classical music, right, Melissa? There's, you know, there's a, there's a, it's very fine. Just quick point, the birth of his classical radio career and the birth of two classical hosts of yeah, the future. I know. Amen. Wow. Such synergy. <laughs> such synergy that we're finding today. I love how that lines up. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, no, I think that that was something that I thought everything had to be very proper, very stuffed shirt, proper. very, you know, yeah. And even all of that. just talking about this is, that was. Right. And just feeling like you need to say, I don't know, put too much into it. Okay. I guess. So now, Matt, now take, take that idea. Garrett, you've been doing this for three, three and a half years now. And, um, and you've been at it for, refresh my memory, how long, Melissa? Five and a half. Okay. So imagine being 30 years deep and trying to look at your style and go, okay, I need to make some changes in order to talk to the people who are listening to this now. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, that's like giving up smoking after 30 years. You know, sure. you're going to have some yeah. trouble. Sure. So that's yeah. what I'm wrestling with. What do you experience? Do you feel like you coach? I mean, do you feel like when you go into the studio, does a different personality professional come in? Melissa? Because yeah. you know, in in the, in the black community, sometimes we say, um, you know, I speak uh, English and job interview. Right. So do you feel do you feel like you go into uh, speaking job interview when you go into the control room? Yeah, I think it's taken me a lot. I'm a lot more aware of things that I do just just in general. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. And and I don't know if you guys have ever had someone tell you like how you could be better or this or that's like a listener or someone who's, you know, but some people think like, well, it oh, should be bag, easy. Yeah. So, you know, and f people who do it. And I just think a lot of us have a lot of I have a lot of ideas and I try to get them all out at once sometimes. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, focusing that, thought and focusing your point you know, is a skill in what we do because you only have 20 seconds sometimes or yeah. 30 seconds to kind of tell a story. And, uh, you know. Yeah, but I guess just because of tradition and how it's always been done, we're supposed to feel like maybe we're, we're going to be judged if It's yeah. like I'm... an extension of the concert hall, right? Yeah. You know, in, if, you're not doing way, if you're not doing Brahms like Brahms intended it, then you're but, up for ridicule. But, but, but the, the fundamental difference is that when I go on stage and play Brahms, I'm probably playing the bassoon part to Brahms's third symphony better than anyone in the room could possibly, you know, behind mm -hmm. the microphone, mm -hmm. people, you know, people speak English. So they have the opportunity to, to say, uh, to have a comment about your grammar or mm -hmm. about even, you know, your facts or the sound of your voice or whatever, yeah. Yeah. you know, I want to shout out, uh, Julie, you know, uh, our, our manager, C24 manager, um, one of the things, you know, we have weekly air checks with her where, you know, we bring in excerpts of what we've said on the radio. We kind of talk about it. I, I kind of see it as a weekly lesson, like, you know, going I, to your le your bassoon lesson, your guitar lesson. Oh, and, of course they can I mean, be. I love it. Sometimes I just float above and I, it's like a spiritual little moment. And yeah. I'm, I'm wondering like when things come out, I'm listening to how I say certain things and maybe what was going on in my mind. And then I, I learn a little bit more about myself. And, and then getting that expert pair of ears on top of that. Yeah. Is there an insecurity somewhere? And why did I say it like this? And why wasn't I thinking about emphasizing here? And like, so yeah, I mean, it's humbling in a way for me still, but cause I never, I mean, if I asked my boss for feedback, he, he would just hear it in his office and, and we, we had a great relationship. So yeah, we had a lot great. of fun, but yeah, he'd be like, you'll just keep getting better with time. And I'm like, that's sort I, of a, 
backhanded compliment, isn't it? Or that's a, I'm not sure what to say, so I'll pretend that I'm doing an air check. No shade to him because I don't know him. But, right. you know, with, with, with Julie, she every time there's something to talk about, and it's not a you need to say it like this or whatever. It's more of a what do you think it means for you to say it like that or who are you talking to or, or yeah. that sort of thing. And yeah, in, exactly. in, in the process of that, in, in the, uh, you know, when, when Julie and I would talk, you know, it got to the point where she was saying, okay, so what we just listened to, say that, say what you just said. I know. And, and I would say it, and it would sound like I'm talking right now. And that is more mm-hmm. of what she wanted to hear right. over the air on the, you know, on the actual, you know, official classical, the C24, you know, air shifts. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, when Triloquy started and Julie was listening to that, she was like, okay, yeah, you need to sound more like that. But it's hard to, it's hard to be like, all right, y'all, listen, this is Brahms' Third Symphony, blah, 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 you know, uh, because, because you know, there's there's a different sort of feeling I want to put forward overnight, you know, so yeah. so, so that's one thing. But, yeah, mm-hmm. just, just the idea of getting out of sounding official or sounding like NPR or whatever, you know, is, is really a challenge to, yeah. to have to try to overcome. Mm-hmm. It's something we actively think about. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of things to be thinking about when you go on air, and I'm trying to actively think about my breathing and... Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, Isn't it it's amazing, important. though, all of us coming from small stations isn't it amazing to be able to come to a place like this where you can focus like this to think about how thoughtful you can be on the air without having to worry about every other aspect of getting up to that position Mm -hmm. um i'm curious where you would like to take it what change okay so i'm i'm almost 50 and i'm doing what i can to try to speak to um, you know, we're we're starting to get more 35 plus listeners. Mm-hmm. So more people in in our age group here sitting around the table. So what um, do you have an idea of what you would do to reach out to them if you could? Like if you if you didn't have to worry about um, alienating a base. Mm-hmm. I mean, I programmed obviously when I was music director, there was more classical guitar music programmed duh i mean that's just gonna happen sorry <laughs> plus we're in the midwest i i know what i i think you know I, I knew the audience and how far it reached so i knew they were gonna like it mm-hmm. and you know there's that one person who doesn't like classical guitar or you know the two or couple people but i would expand that a little bit because uh, I really appreciate the banjo and um, how like its origin started in Africa. And if you can just think about that and think about all the places it's it's expanded, you know, because when I was in school, it wasn't a huge university, but they didn't care about the guitar department. It wasn't important. Right. Um, it wasn't an important instrument. We weren't, you could be part of the orchestra playing Vivaldi or Boccherini or something. But other than that, they just didn't quite take the department seriously yeah i remember too and i always thought it was a a great gateway for someone to start because you know obviously i played folk music and then i studied Mm -hmm. classical and then i started listening to string quartets and dvorak and and then symphonies so it just kind of expanded from there so i would want to kind of take those traditional folk songs pieces from 
all over the world mm-hmm. and then try to expand stylistically stylistically what do you think would have to happen to have you not flip that switch when you go in to go and do professional melissa what would it take to have this sort of interaction that we're having right now i mean i'm well, I'm, I'm, I... I'm curious from both of you you know like how can we how can we get there how do we um, steer this more towards this sort of conversational, less stuff shirt, but not alienating, you know, the, um, the base. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to put a pin in the, some of the guitar stuff you're talking about, cause I want to get back to that. But, mm-hmm. uh, as far as, you know, changing the sound, I think it has a lot to do with, with just having the courage to, with, with just just getting over you know getting over your own fear and you know especially someone like me uh, I don't know how many other times uh you know classical listeners uh have heard somebody black on the radio mm-hmm. you know so that in itself is coming with a new set of ideas and a new set of uh experiences on my end which play into the way I think about classical music so um there, there are certain things that, you know, I guess my point is there are certain things that are just going to be there anyway, but the next step is to not shy away from it, to, to really dig into uh, who you are and what your experiences are, despite the fact that they run against what came before. And, you know, that, that, and that doesn't speak against what came before because, um, you know, there's there's something really charming about really listening back to those old, old school, like, radio mm. hosts, and especially some of the classical radio hosts. But, you know, the world looks different today. And uh, and the people who create classical music, uh, the people who host it, all of the, and the people who listen to it, you know, we all look different. And, and, and why not just, you know, dig into that? Yeah. I mean, they use electronics... Um, they electrify their instruments. Uh, they just add. No, we're not going to do any auto tone, auto tune breaks. <laughs> or maybe we. Oh, that would be. Oh, that's an idea. Some pianists <laughs> are adding electronics to their, you know, compositions, like something along the lines of a Chopin or or Philip Glass. They're adding weird technical stuff that I don't know how to do. But and I don't even <sighs> want to call it weird because I just want to call it what it is. It's music, you know. Yeah, that's what it is, it, you know. And it's it's beautiful, and it's what's happening today. I haven't, you know, that would those kind of piano pieces or uh, quartets. I would add that kind of stuff to the playlist. That's okay, what's so, happening okay, now. so yeah, so you want to talk about the playlist? Okay, so let's talk about the playlist. <laughs> so you already said that you uh, programmed a lot of like classical guitar. I at, couldn't at overdo it. Even my boss at the beginning was like. Hey, there were two classical guitar pieces in the morning show. I was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, but was but was they that were... the general aesthetic? What what, what would you say in, at KVNO was your general uh, philosophy as far as the aesthetic of let's say your afternoon show? What did what did you generally want it to sound like? And what and what did you want people's? Uh, when I say their, their their relationship with it, like what what do you, what do you think? How do you think about your playlist at KVNO in the afternoon impacting someone's life? So this isn't a time when someone's trying to take a nap, maybe or whatever. But you know, how how are you wanting people to really interact with your sound that you were that you were wanting to create? Well, um, like my wi- I have a window piece. I I think I told you that the other day, and there was a. Uh... 
Now you, and Some, you, and you, you said it would be a cold start, so not a... Cold open. So yeah, yeah. I'd always... I like to program... Um, I mean, of course I would do the occasional overture, but like I like flute and guitar duos, and I would just try to get that interesting piece that they hadn't heard or maybe it was uh maybe it was a cover of a pop tune on guitar or piano something oh, that's that, fine. something that you couldn't figure out right away and then um I was on at three so and I would get feedback from parents too and, and classical kids so I always tried to imagine like what people were doing at three fifteen. they're picking up their kids they're right. probably talking about their day maybe they are tuning into the radio and so i'd always want to play like a newer 21st century string quartet or something that might get their imagination peaked get the at kids that, imagination going at yeah. that kind of day play some film music um there's there's new film music. I I don't have a whole lot of I don't run into a whole lot of film music, but I think it's a really good opportunity. It, it's it's really cool that you know all in all you're always thinking about those uh those youngsters, those kids, <laughs> and how they can interact with it. You know, for for me, I think a lot about just um, dispelling. And I, I definitely, you know, anybody, anybody that listened to me in Knoxville can tell you my thing was uh, getting rid of the uh, the aural assumption of classical music, quote unquote. So I made sure a lot of the stuff that I played felt outside of what people would traditionally think about hearing when they when they turned on the classical radio station. And I'm I'm really I'm really dedicated to that as time goes on because. You know, we were just talking about how audiences, the music creators, the music itself l sounds and looks different these days. Mm -hmm. um, whose job is it to to keep that that progression going is, is us, you know? Yeah. I don't know. That's my that's my spiel on it anyway. Do you two feel like <laughs> you need to, I, well, to have. Well, but, but, well, before you ask a question, I want to I want you to answer that question. What is, you know, <laughs> maybe. Maybe not what was your programming philosophy at KVNO since it's been so long. You know, you, you've been here for over a decade, but on the conversation of like pushing the needle and the aesthetic of what classical radio is, what is what is your idea? What what are your goals on that front? It was each morning was sort of like um, and uh, a walk through musical styles. I I tended to load the Baroque pretty heavy early on. And, and this, again, this is in Omaha. Right. And then, you know, by the time we hit 9, 9.30, I was into uh, romantic and 20th century stuff. You know, it was sort of, I was following a philosophy that somebody had used beforehand. But if you ask me now, looking back at it, I cringe because I played a lot of what you would consider like the, the poppy sort of stuff. You know, Quartetto Gelato, Charlotte Church, um, are you uh, dragging right now? Uh, wow. Um, <laughs> am, am I, am I, I saw, wrong? I saw Charlotte Church in the library. But and I, I never... like Quartetto Gelato. No, but what I'm saying is, is that a lot of the people who were the base, the traditionalists, they looked at that as a, um, a watering down. Um, and yeah, Andrea Bocelli, too, you know, okay. the, that they, you know, he, he, he does, um, he's, a great performer, but a lot of the listenership that I had looked at that down. They looked down their nose at that. You know, why are you playing this bubblegum stuff? Why can't we have more of the such as? And and I was trying to 
sort of you know spread out the interest sure. I guess and, sure um Refresh me of the, the question so that I can answer it. Or, or just the idea behind the what you want the experience of listening to classical radio to be. You know, the, uh, and I'll also offer this. So at my, in my show at WUOT, the every day was themed, every single show. So, yeah, I didn't, I didn't do that. So sometimes it was very broad. You know, I, off the top of my head, I'm thinking about pieces of, and, and, you know, Melissa, you're all about the visuals. So I would do a show about color. So I would have, you know, Christopher Theophanidis's Rainbow Body. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe I would do Rhapsody in Blue or, you know, every piece of music will have a color in it. Or um, I would do, um, you know, one of my most legendary shows was <laughs> on the day of the Comey hearings, I did... Um, uh, Russian collusion in American classical music. Mm. So Russian Russian composers or Russian mm-hmm. music that played a role, an important role in American, um, you know, classical music culture. With the biggest example being um, Tchaikovsky's eighteen twelve overture. You know, a piece of music we hear every Fourth of July. But what does that have to do with America? Oh, it's Cans. Russian collusion. Anyway, you know, so so you know, thinking thinking about the experience in 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 that way. So I guess that's more of of what I was asking you. What you want their experience to be? And that is something that I relied on because I'm like unlike you too. I don't have the classical training in in music um i this medium is the instrument it's broadcasting it's storytelling and that's the sort of thing that i was trying to rely on and i was trying to take the morning show at kvno in a different direction because the two guys that had it prior to me had both retired from other broadcasting careers and this was something cute for them to do it seemed and i wanted to try to draw in younger listeners. And to me, that meant playing bands like Quartetto Gelato, um, that they might actually have a chance of, of hearing other than in, uh, in a classical music setting. You know, they might hear it and, on and, television and or something. You're hitting on a couple things, because first mm-hmm. of all, um, well, I'm, I'm going to scribble it down so that we don't forget, because when you talk about that classical training that we, you know, come from, I think that informs our perspective in different ways. But mm-hmm. but, but before we jump on that, you said, um, you know, getting in the younger listeners with, with the music. And I think that has a, an important part of it, but I think that companionship is also right. uh, an important component because, you know, it's... It's our job to also, as much as we love talking about uh, new music, uh, it's also our job to make Beethoven Five sound interesting, right? And right. I and yeah. I feel like you can pull in, you know, whatever audience you want, as long as it's it's relevant, as long as it relates. Beethoven's Pathétique Sonata is relevant, and it's one of my favorite pieces. And I got a comment the other day, so there are still like these staple pieces that I just think belong. No doubt, but, but don't but wouldn't you like to tell a different story uh about a new composer, perhaps somebody that's living? Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like yeah. to tell that story too? Yeah. That's all I'm saying is that, you know, I've I've talked about Royal Fireworks music enough or the, you know, the oh, yeah. the water music or mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not just bash and handle. I'm saying that, you know, there are plenty of spaces where something uh, along that caliber can 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 take a, a seat on the bench while we play 10 or 15 minutes of something new. Yeah. That's what yeah. that's my thought. Yeah. Um 
I scribbled down here the classical training. So I, I want to talk about that for a minute. So, uh, Melissa, you're, uh, you're, you know, a classically uh, trained guitarist, and I'm sure that plays a big role into, you know, that, that sort of classical aesthetic uh, you know, that you're interested in and that you want to put forward. You know, for me, uh, being a wind player and being from the South, is, it, you know, in a weird way, in the South, band and wind ensemble is just a much bigger thing. Like, just like here in Minnesota, how choral music is really, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, it's, it's just how a regionalism like that. Anyway, so because of the nature of what wind band music is, I came up playing contemporary music most of the time, you know. And of course, I played in orchestras where, you know, you got some of the contemporary uh, or some of the uh, traditional repertoire in. But, you know, there were there were just sounds that were introduced to me so early in my training that it's hard for me to think of something as avant-garde or left field because, you know, it's, it just sounds normal to my ear. Do, do you experience any of that? Do you, do you feel like there are genres that you understand too well or, or genres you you don't have, uh, you know, your ear on so much due to that classical uh, training? That there are other genres that I don't listen to? Is, is that what you're asking? Maybe that or just or I guess, you know, in a nutshell, how, how did your classical training impact your ear, impact the way you think about the sound of classical music, what you think of when you even say the phrase classical music? How did your classical training impact that? Oh, yeah. Um, probably when I was like in theory and they wanted us to analyze like fugues. That kind of blew my mind. I didn't. Music really... theory blew your mind. Good for you. Amen. Well, <laughs> I, I had tutors. I had. Oh, I, I see. had tutors. So see, to I me, was... that sounds. Did, did you, Scott? Did you have to uh, diagram sentences in school? Yep. That that's what music theory feels like to me. When when you have to do the the keyboard and the four part analysis and all that, that feels like diagramming a sentence to me. You can do it, but it's not fun. But no. it was fun to you. No, it wasn't fun to oh. me. That's <laughs> I'm saying that's the stuff that I was like, what? Like I didn't know I wasn't looking or thinking about it like that. So Oh, I see. Okay. I guess I um that was intimidating, but reading music and playing the guitar was was the really fun part. And uh, obviously, oh god, shoot so me now. I um, is guitar your first instrument? My first instrument was flute. Okay. in middle school, and then so you knew how to so you learned how to read music earlier. Yeah, and I played oh, yeah. at the on our piano at home. I just had a Disney book, so I would just plunk out melodies. And so keyboard, I picked that up easily. Like the performance stuff, I was good at, but um. I, yeah, I guess I wasn't taking that at the right angle. But at first, like, knowing that that's how people saw it, that was eye-opening to me. Oh, I see. I was like, oh, I, I wasn't thinking about it in that structure. Um, but Le- I, In a left-brained way. Yeah. So I really liked the Brazilian and the Cuban music because it was just so free and What got open. you into that? Probably when I played, like, Leo Brower. He has those Shout simple out to him. etudes. Yeah, Afro-Cuban yep. composer, yeah. I was working Living. on the first five for the longest time. His music didn't, um, they, they don't have many markings on it. It's just kind of open to your interpretation. But, but did you just happen and upon I, that music or? No, my professor. Okay. He has his office full. It was it was not organized. And, so and shout him out. Who was that? Hadley Haven. Oh, hey, yeah. Professor Haven. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he he preferred that we called him Hadley. Okay. But uh, he sh- he would show up in jeans and um, a plaid shirt, his cowboy boots. 
And so. y'all will play some guitar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I think that changed my perspective, just um, the way it moved, uh, just, you know, obscure chords or thinking about diminished chords. Like, it kind of opened my mind up to using different little sounds and dissonances so, in, 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 in the rock and roll music that I heard and that I liked. I was like, oh, there's like these possibilities and playing like finger picking with nails and doing that as mm. opposed to like a pick was so much more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I wonder though, um, when, when I think about a classical guitarist, I, I think about all of those, you know, countless Bach cantatas or whatever that are, that fill all of those A2 Chacons, books. Yeah. Yes, all of that. What, what, was that not a part of... Do you not consider that a fundamental part of your of your training? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Definitely. The the Bach, when I played the Prelude to Bach's Cello Suite Number 1, mm. and my professor was like, when you can play an entire Bach Cello Suite, that's when you know that... That you've made it. That you've made it. Because <laughs> it's... And I opened up my senior recital with the Prelude and the Allemande and like... It was. It gave me a run for my money. Okay, your but, brain. But is it the uh, guitar transcriptions of Bach, what you would put on the radio before a Terega or a Leo Brower composition or a, or a Machado like like we performed? Why 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 is the more Latin music more interesting to you? Despite the fact that both of those genres have equal, from my perspective, equal footing in your development as a guitarist. Yeah. Well, gosh, I just thought it just tastes better. It just, just say tastes it. better. <laughs> Their culture just seemed more open. No shade. Oh, I feel like somebody's going to be upset and send an email about that. But it's when has that ever bothered you before? <laughs> Throw shade about what? Well, it, well, it's it's hard to dismiss you know, the, the 17th, 18th century European music, but there's just something intrinsically more contemporarily interesting about some of that Spanish and Latin guitar music. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to put into words, <laughs> but you and, know, I, I also had a professor from, uh, that studied in Spain and had those stories. So it kind of became, that was part of my education. And that was just like, so interesting and intriguing to me. You know, a lot of people um, would give me a hard time for liking the Danzas Españolas by Granados. Um, and, and because it's so, um, you know, it's the Eine Kleine Nachmusik of, of guitar music. And yeah. yeah, and you know what? They're great. <laughs> yeah, they and, are. And, and everybody mean... can enjoy them front to back. You yeah, know, I, they... I used to, you know, I used to have them playing for when I would walk in from work, you know, and it's just nice to walk into your house and feel that, you know, sort of a low yeah, guitar Yeah, if I wake up on Saturday morning and put on like Andre Segovia radio station and just... It's perfect. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, I, I really love some of those contemporary uh, guitar concertos. Uh, Oh, uh, I'm 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 not I'm not gonna think of. Uh, Leo Brower had a few recently, yeah. and they went over really I mean, well. And there are even on... some for electric guitar that I think work, and and not it's not all about you know bringing rock to the orchestra, but yeah, you know some of them really work. You know, Daniel Hope did an album a couple of years ago, and he did Amazing Grace with an electric guitarist. Yeah, and I wasn't Greenstone? allowed 
to play with play oh. it. And then of course I, you had Rodrigo and all of the things he did for classical guitar, you know, and the concerto Aranjue. Yeah. I called it the orange juice concerto one time on the radio and somebody got mad. <laughs> what? <laughs> let's, oh. let's do we should Oh, he we, would see those composers would love that joke. They would laugh and they would cheers you. I think so because we love because we would cheers with orange juice to the Aranjue concerto. <laughs> can we get back? Can we get back what into that? that about um, the perception of the way that it needs to be presented and and maybe adding a little bit of irreverence here, like we're talking about, and not get called to the carpet by an email or a phone call to be mm-hmm. fair to be fair i put it on scott i think in the break i was like you know i have a colleague who sometimes calls that the orange juice concerto but it's actually the Aranjue concerto <laughs> so i snitched on you uh, really actually <laughs> actually it's Aranjuez. okay um thank you i'm always looking for you know you and all why of the other people sending me, me emails why is it that you can correct me <laughs> And then whenever I come back with something, you, you treat me like, okay, boomer. All right, buddy. Yeah, whatever. I'm just, jo- I'm just joking with you, Scott. You know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so can we talk, let's, let's talk a little bit about that, mixing, you know, what, what we feel like we can get away with. Because you commented once, hanging out in the studio, you heard me say Wolfgang rather than Wolfgang on the air. And you said... I would get emails. Well, I'll tell you, Melissa. So one of my early emails at, uh, man, and we're going to read some emails in a minute, but one of my early emails was, uh, I I guess I said, Johann Sebastian Bach. And I've already gotten good at the Bach because folks will ride you for that, Mm -hmm. you know, but, uh, but someone, it wasn't even an email. It was posted to the music through the night Facebook page. And, and to be fair, it wasn't, point it like some of the emails can be but uh she was basically like you know pronounce it this way so now i say johann sebastian bach for all of the bach fans i well i had someone in um omaha uh there was a coffee shop owner and he had the hip coffee shop next to the university where the station was and there was a regular there and we got we became friends but scooters huh was it scooters blue line oh okay cool um so he was like you don't say like uh, Hector Villalobos, like that's like, but nobody, most people don't say Villalobos because right, they right. just don't feel comfortable. They just say Villalobos, even mm-hmm. though it's Villalobos. And he's I feel like, vindicated. Thank you. Because that's how I've been saying it. Villalobos is yeah. what we should Villalobos. say. Okay. All right. Well, I'll start saying that. And um, he's like, but I don't, I don't like when people say Bach. I was like, but like tech, that's one of those names that I feel like I should say Johann Sebastian Bach. But I don't want to say George Frederick. Like some people are really picky about Handel. It's like Handel. Yep. It's not Handel. It's Handel. I'm like, Handel. I, I feel, yep. yeah. Can I share Handel. Some? Yeah. It's like, I don't feel, but I, I feel comfortable. I don't know. Garrett and I already had this conversation, <laughs> but at KVNO when I was doing the mornings and doing during an air check, I was told, um, I know that the correct pronunciation is Mendelssohn, but everybody else on staff says Mendelssohn. And mm-hmm. so we want you to change to match what everybody else yeah, is saying. It's so pedantic. It, like, I'm, I'm getting pissed off listening to this conversation. Well, because I just was like, this guy's annoyed now that I'm saying Bach correctly. I mean, and, like, and, and you... it's just, and look, I'm not trying to trap. Look, I, I love all sorts of feedback, but sometimes it can really be frustrating to get the emails that read, you know, with, right. with this I mean, sort of stuff. Do you have and then any you have idea to get, what's going on And then right you have now. to get, in, you know, into the, and I, I had to I had to get rude a little bit with somebody in Knoxville, um, you know, because every day it was something else. And basically I had to tell him, look, do you think that I just can't do my job? And 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 it comes up when you get into the politics 
of some of the uh, and the way some of these people wanted their names pronounced or the false cognates. So the big example is Alberto Ginastera. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's another. So one, yeah. uh, so a lot of people expect it to be Ginastera, which I guess it would be phonetically. But yeah, you know, if you've be. been to music school and learned about him and his heritage and what he how he preferred his name, you know, pronounced blah blah blah. You know, you can have the same. Uh, there's a, a composer. His name is a. Uh, uh, I forget his first name, Francois, but shoot, I'm embarrassed by that. But his last name is uh, Francais, but I learned Francex. Mm -hmm. What's the man's first name? I forget. Jean Francex. Jean Jean Francex is how I learned to say his name because uh, he was from the Aix-en-Provence or something. in. uh, Right, but too many people clutch at pearls when you say sex on the air. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but anyway, you you could get into that all day. Um, Boulez. You know, people expect that to be Boulez. I I, I made a promo on KVNO. And my dad was an older gentleman at the coffee shop, and we were having a conversation. And I told him to say Debussy, <laughs> and he did. And it was funny. My, I mean, we thought it was funny because some people say Debussy instead of Debussy. It just comes out that way for some people, and I'm just. But I've who heard cares? It. Is my yeah, point. That, like, does it matter? I don't care. I'm I mean, just, and, and it I goes mean, back to toning that and, and, line. And but but and I get respecting the the composer's legacy and all that look i'm not trying to you know disrespect a lot of these some of them i am but <laughs> um but you know we're not dis- you know like kami sansons oh, you gosh. know they people will get so bent out of shape about they that will. and and it's not like we're trying to uh, disrespect his legacy if someone says camille sansons or whatever he, you know, know but yeah, y'all, I'm, I'm not going to get on that soapbox. Um, we've been talking for a while here. Um, if you're still listening, thank you. You know, just <laughs> we got a, just three, a check just, coming your way just, soon. Just three hosts just kind of uh, shooting the ish about what it means to be um, a classical radio host. Melissa, your uh, journey here. Um, at the, we're going to wrap up this opus uh, with a recording of a piece of music by an Afro-Brazilian composer yeah. uh, that you introduced me to. You know, we, mm-hmm. we already laid out how much you love the Latin and South American and uh, Spanish guitar music. Uh, when did you first learn of this uh, composer, Celso Machado? Oh, a couple months ago. Oh, so semi-recently. Okay. Yeah. How, yeah, how, how did I you was, come across him? Uh, YouTube. I had seen... Shout out to YouTube, man. Yeah, I had just seen uh, people uploading their performances, you know, their, their recitals. And then um, there are some of his recordings. I don't even think they're like the full... I just found some random recordings because my friends were giving me some of those, they were giving me suggestions. Um, and I was like, gosh, I want to find some duet music like we were talking about. It was just something that I gravitated towards, like falling into a new, any type of new artist. And then, um, I found out he was 60 and alive and well, yeah, alive and well. And And I was like, this is, this is really beautiful. This is something that I would love that, you know, those little exciting moments about getting an album in the mail at work and it's not someone doing Mahler's symphony again, or the Shostakovich with whoever. No shade, but But you know, this is somebody alive and well, who we need to celebrate and who people need to know about. Yeah. And there were, yeah. So I would always kind of try to find those gems and, um, play those at work. And I had remembered, um, a, a duo that I always played in Omaha. And then I found out he had like, yeah, all of this great stuff. I was like, cool. It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's just something you 
for me, I instantly was just like, wow. And it was a joy to play it with you. You know, Scott, we had originally planned on me just, you know, it was a piece for, it's a piece for, uh, you know, what, what we did for guitar and flute. Um, originally, I was just going to play the flute line on bassoon because, you know, bassoon is my, you know, strongest instrument and, you know, I wouldn't really have to think much about it. But uh, Melissa, you know, when you came over for us to uh, play through it a couple times, the spirit of it just felt a little better on flute. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've, well. I've, I've played flute all my life, but it's, it's sometimes I feel a little naked playing the flute. It's not my <laughs> principal instrument, you know, not doing what you're best at. But I really appreciate your um, exposing me to that uh, piece of music to this composer. I gave him a shout out on my website, on my weekly shout out. Oh, um, so uh, yeah, uh, definitely check out Celso Machado, C-E-L-S-O, and his last name is M-A-C-H-A-D-O. Uh, you'll hear um, my and Melissa's rendition of uh, one of his tunes um, at the end of this opus. But before we get there, Scott, we have, we, we're going to go into the mailbag a little bit. You know, we talked about feedback and the way people get into the way we pronounce things. So are we going to share one of the nice emails or one of the people who are upset? I'll, I'll leave it up to y'all. What do y'all want to do? I, I have a nice one. I'll okay, then we'll read an, nice ones. I'll start we'll read with nice a nice ones. one if you'd like. It's, it's short and sweet. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Melissa, just a quick note that I've stumbled across you a couple times on WOSU in Columbus, Ohio. You have a fabulous honor delivery and communicate in a completely unpretentious way. That's a rarity and so refreshing. Best of <laughs> luck to you and hope to hear from you often. Cheers. So what did reading that mean to you in the moment? Oh my gosh. I was like, well, I'm always a little like surprised. I'm like, wait, what? Um, I, I, I felt like there's a listener who gets my personality and knows what I'm trying to do. Someone you connected with, someone you had real engagement with. Yeah. And that's the power of what we do, the the honor that we have. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, it looks like that's a long one there. Is that a long I'll, one? I'll paraphrase. Okay. Um, I just wanted to say hi to you tonight for a change because every now and then I hear you when I tune into classical NPR. I'm going, not going to say where he's from. Uh, I appreciate your radio station. Uh, I also wanted to personally express to you You're a good announcer, and I always have to perk my ears up when listening to you. Tonight, case in point, when you announced Ravel's sentimental waltz and talked about Ravel's longing for the old Strauss waltzes. I like the way you put it. Nostalgia isn't what it used to be. That's sweet. Okay, so... My message, you know, I got off work one morning and it was, you know, me getting off night four of four. So it was a Saturday morning, like 6.30. I am just feeling exhausted, but too tired to be sleepy. But then also doubting whether or not what I did even mattered. Do I want to keep doing this? You know, this was several months ago. And then I uh, got this uh, through the mail. It says, uh, thank you for joining the folks um, at your station. My husband died over a year ago and my sleeping has been erratic. Your warm, knowledgeable, enthusiastic voice has brought me calm and comfort. This email comes from decades Uh, from a decades-long vow. Rather than complaining, I try to find and focus on people doing good work and thank them, and when possible, inform a superior. If there is someone I should tell, let me know. Okay, so you hear this, Julie um, and Brian? Uh, (laughs) I'm for real. If you want confirmation, ask Michael Barone about me. He, uh, I've known him for decades, and um, and I know good uh, listening when I hear it. I'm paraphrasing here because some of this is I don't want to get teared up. Thank you very much, Garrett McQueen, for making my life a better one. And, yep. you know, 
the point she made, what hit most with me was the point she made about um, being grateful and, and letting people know that you appreciate them and all that stuff. And Scott, we talked about that uh, back in the Opus where we were honoring Bob Christensen, you know, just talking to, you know, being grateful and, and uh, appreciative in so many things. And Look, sometimes I need the correction. Some sometimes I'll say a date wrong or pronounce something wrong, or, or and that's fine. You know, I, I I get a lot of notes from folks uh, with with corrections that come from a good spirit, and I really love that. And then I'm I'm not saying you need to use kid gloves with me or or anything, but it's so easy to get caught up in you know, okay, the anxiety of here's 15 emails that I need to read, how many of these people are cussing me out, you know, and then get in the one email, you know, where, you know, you really, again, had an impact with someone. So, you know, shout out to um, everyone who listens, you know, for, I I won't speak for y'all, but for me, it is as, it is an honor for me to be in, in countless people's lives and, you know, to try to share my love for, this music with them, you know, it's, it's, it's an honor, but also a responsibility. Yeah. Well, uh, Melissa, thank you so much for rambling here with us. Yeah. Thanks for um, having me. How, how can, uh, how can people, uh, find out more about you and how can they participate in some of the, uh, initiatives that you've got going here at APM? In some of the initiatives? Yeah. Um, like with your classical, uh, with your kid, with your kids show on Saturday mornings and all that. Yeah. That's Saturday mornings on, Minnesota Public Radio and your classical. So yep. um, I guess I'll kind of be giving some shout outs there yeah. um, about my Instagram and, and what I have planned for. Oh, so Melissa said you got to listen to find out. Well, <laughs> no. yeah, pretty much. So 8 a.m. So on 8 a.m. Central on Central. Saturday mornings. Yeah. Yeah. And then is there is there any place that uh, people can go to? Uh, hear some more of your guitar playing or, or, or any of that? Um, yeah, I have music on SoundCloud. It's just under my name. So I've got some stuff there. Then hopefully be adding some new stuff to it soon. So Okay, yeah. Um, and Scott, thank you again for setting up Studio B here. Uh, very comfortable. Feels very homey in here. I could sit here and chat all night with my cupcake here. Well, maybe um, <laughs> maybe that'll be the next iteration of Triloquy. It'll be the three-hour-long actual conversation. <laughs> maybe some video, because uh, we do have video of you and Melissa playing that Machado on Triloquy.org. And uh, also, that is a great place for you. Talk about reaching out. That's a great place for you to reach With all out. all of your complaints. Right. I mean, your meanest note. So just send it to <laughs> Triloquy at AmericanPublicMedia.org. And uh, you can also find us on YouTube. Uh, just search for Triloquy there. Um, if you're listening to this on iTunes or whatever, just give us a rating and a like. Yeah, Stuff yeah. Like that. So, uh, Melissa, uh, you know, mm-hmm. of, of course, uh, you know, a big part of our job when we're hosting classical radio is to kind of set the mood for what they're about to hear or or say something about it. So, to transition us into um, our performance of this piece of music uh, by Celso Machado, how about you give us the break? How 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 would you introduce this to to new audiences? Wow. Well, I'd say it is a sassy Brazilian tune, you know, something that you can listen to with uh, the windows down on a nice day. That's something I picture. And uh, yeah, it's kind of like candy. It's just fun. Mm -hmm. 